You are listening to the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, a safe space where moms with Crohn's and colitis connect, explore powerful tools for healing, and transform our lives to thrive in motherhood and in life. I'm your host, Karen Haley, IBD health coach, integrative wellness enthusiast, and mom to three outstanding kids. After having Crohn's disease for 30 years and working as a health advocate exclusively with IBD clients for the last 10 years, I know it's time to bring the types of candid conversations I have with my clients out into the open. It's our time to go on an IBD healing journey and do it like only a mom can. Let's do this. Hey, dear listener, how's it going for you today? We've got so much to get into on the podcast, so many juicy nuggets I know you're going to love. So let's just dive in. First off, I have to say that the thing I love most about my health and nutrition consulting practice is that 95% of my clients are moms. I set up my practice this way on purpose. I'm a mom of three and everything I do in my life comes from the lens of being a mom. My family life, my friendships, my work, how I handle my disease, no matter what I do, where I go, all of my thoughts, they come from the bent of being a mom, first and foremost. Can you relate to that too? So when I set up my practice, I knew I wanted to help moms. And since mostly I work with moms who have IBD, one of the biggest questions I get asked from those moms is, will my child have Crohn's or colitis too? Of course, we know I don't have a crystal ball and I can't see into the future, so I don't have a definitive answer to that question. But what I do know about Crohn's and colitis is that They both have a hereditary and a genetic link. About 15% of people who have Crohn's also have a family member who has Crohn's. And when scientists look at twin studies, they see that when one twin has Crohn's, 50% of identical twins also have Crohn's. And interestingly, with fraternal or non-identical twins, that number goes down to less than 10%. With ulcerative colitis, somewhere between 10 to 25% of people with UC have a relative that also has colitis. Twin studies for colitis show that 16% of identical twins also have a twin with colitis. With fraternal twins, that number goes down to 4%. So when it comes to inheritability, the research is clear. There is a familial link. There's a possibility that our children will develop Crohn's or colitis. But what my clients are really asking when they ask this question is, does this have to happen? Is it inevitable? Does everything I go through, the abdominal pain, the multiple trips to the bathroom, the embarrassment, the challenges of everyday life with a chronic illness, everything we go through on a daily basis, Does this have to be my child's reality? I know when I was thinking about having children, and in fact, I actually, I gave this a ton of thought because I even resorted to fertility treatments to conceive my first child. And I know that my doctor said that the risk of my children getting Crohn's or colitis wasn't worth me not having children. 
Your doctor probably told you something similar to this. They probably said, yes, there is a hereditary link, but it's not strong enough to not have children. But we can't ignore that there is a risk factor there. The research is clear on that. There is a possibility of you passing Crohn's or colitis on to your child. So the question that I keep getting over and over from clients, will my child end up getting diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis? It's very understandable and it's very valid. Now beyond the statistics I just shared with you, I didn't really know how to answer this question, but I really wanted to figure it out. I was getting it so often that it felt like, I don't know, wasn't really an okay response. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I'm a research gal, and I knew that there had to be research and enlightened wisdom out there to tackle this very topic. I knew that I could at least do some digging, and that would at least help me have some more information to give you. So that's just what I set out to do. And this episode of the Cheeky Podcast is the culmination of all of that research that I did pertaining to kids in IBD. Are they destined to get it? Or are there things we can do to lower our kids' risk? The first thing I found out about IBD that I thought was really interesting is that the prevalence of IBD is growing throughout the world. According to the CDC, in 1999, 0.09% of Americans, and that's about 2 million Americans, were diagnosed with IBD. But by 2015, the percentage of adults with IBD was about 1.3% of the population. That's about 3 million Americans. And in Europe, the prevalence of IBD is anywhere from 0.5 to 1% of its population. And that's a number that's gone up in recent years as well. It used to be that cases of Crohn's and colitis were mostly found in the developing world, countries who are highly industrial and countries who are using modern agriculture. Now IBD is growing in the developing world as well. So it doesn't matter where you live. The prevalence of IBD is not declining, but it's increasing. And it seems that many people who I meet with Crohn's and colitis, they also have a relative who has IBD too. Personally, I have a third and fourth cousin with Crohn's. And although my kids and two of my brothers and my dad have never been diagnosed with IBD, they all have some sort of GI issue, whether it's gluten sensitivity or dairy intolerance or just some form of IBS. Now, the really cool thing, in my opinion, about the 20th century is that it meant an explosion of medical and scientific exploration. The 20th century found genetics and DNA research at the forefront of discovering the causes of many diseases. Scientists discovered the helix structure of DNA and the complete sequence of the human genome. And while this research and the findings were absolutely extraordinary, they also left medical practitioners and scientists with the belief in biological determination. And that's the thought that we are controlled by our genes, period. What scientists didn't really realize at the time is that genetic factors, they're only one piece of the puzzle. And I want to say that one more time, Mama, because If you're out there and you're worried and stressed every day that your child is going to develop inflammatory bowel disease, 
You have to hear this again. Genetic factors are only one piece of the puzzle. We know this now. And this is the information that can help us sleep better at night. Help us stress less about our children and about whether they will develop Crohn's or colitis. Today, we look at other factors besides genes to determine the risk for diseases. We look at the microbes or the bacteria throughout our body. We look at how genes in the microbiome interact with our environment around us. And we know that it isn't just genes that control whether we get Crohn's or colitis. There's many factors that come into play as well. And some of these factors we actually have control over. Scientists have discovered several non-genetic risk factors for developing IBD. Factors that include things like your environment, the environment around you, and your lifestyle choices. Factors like smoking and the use of oral contraceptives. Factors like the health of your diet and the overuse of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or those NSAIDs. And when it comes to diet, and you know I'm super passionate about the power of a healthy diet when it comes to healing, there was a Japanese study that found an increase in ulcerative colitis in people who consumed a Western diet. And we all know what that term means, that Western diet. We're talking about a diet that's high in processed foods and chemicals, lots of canned, packaged, and processed foods, fast foods, you know, those kinds of things. And then another study, it found an increased risk in developing IBD with the consumption of foods like that contained sucrose and animal fat, high cholesterol foods, soft drinks. That sounds like a Western diet to me. So both of those studies found the same diet connection. So we know genes are not the only factor at play here. There's a lot more going on and there's a lot more that we have control over. As a mom with IBD, we have some control over these additional factors and that helps me at least breathe a sigh of relief that this disease doesn't have to get passed down to my kids. More modern, now we're talking 21st century research, shows that our genes account for only about 10% of human disease. And those extra factors, those ones that I mentioned, the factors like lifestyle and environment, those have led scientists to begin new research in what I think are fascinating fields of medicine. And this is where, in my IBD and kids research, this is where I really begin to geek out. And I just hope that when I share all of this with you, I hope it fascinates you as much as it does me. Have you heard about the study of epigenetics? Or how about the concept of the exposome? This is where our thoughts about our children's determined disease truly goes out the window. Back in 2005, a doctor named Dr. Christopher Wilde coined the concept of the exposome. And he said that is the primary reason for all health as well as the primary reason for disease. The exposome, it's the total of all the non-genetic exposures that impact health. And this exposure, it starts at conception. Cool, right? It includes everything we eat, we drink, our air, the air around us, our social interactions, our lifestyle, even our health, the health of our parents at the time of conception. 
So if genetics only play 10% of the role in human disease, this is that other 90%. Besides the exposome, I also mentioned the concept of epigenetics. And according to the CDC, just so we're all on the same page when it comes to epigenetics, it's the study of how our behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes work. Now, these changes, they don't affect our DNA sequencing, but it's more like the changes in how your body reacts to information. So I just have to say, wow. That, that's just like mind-blowing wow. Our behaviors and our environment around us can actually change how our body reads our DNA. And when it comes to IBD, the thought here is that when we take this idea of epigenetics and we take that a step further, it appears that we can mediate factors between our environment and our genome, particularly what our IBD genes are saying. Epigenetics says that we can affect the development and the progression of IBD. So can our kids benefit? Can our kids benefit from these new ideas about the exosome and about epigenetics? You bet they can. Even though your child because they are your child, they have a hereditary link to inflammatory bowel disease. Now we ask the question, how can we help to positively impact their health? Is there a way we can do that? And that's the way that I tend to think of it. I don't think of it in terms of how can I prevent my child from having Crohn's or colitis? I think of it more in terms of how can I help my child be as healthy as humanly possible? Because it isn't just about protecting them against Crohn's or colitis. It's about raising a healthy child and the healthiest child that they can be. So how can we as parents, how can we do that knowing that their genes are actually only 10% of the picture, right? Knowing that big role that we have there. Environmental factors in that 90%, including things like healthy diet, physical activity, the products you bring into your home, the healthy um, choices that you make, you and your child make concerning not smoking, the chemicals in your food, getting as healthy as you possibly can before you even have children, and dad too, because his health matters as well. Children born vaginally as well, children born vaginally that get that built-in dose of the bacterial benefit by passing through the birth canal, children who bond with their parents and their siblings, they're healthier, children with healthy social interactions, children who are psychologically well-adjusted, children who have lower stress levels or higher levels of education, and children who get quality sleep, they are all healthier for it, that 90% healthier for it. We also know that breastfeeding matters. We know that human breast milk contains substances that may influence the growth and development as well as the function of the gastrointestinal tract. There's a difference in the colonic flora, you know, those healthy gut bugs between breastfed and bottle-fed babies. Several studies, they also show breastfeeding to be a protective factor in developing IBD. 
I absolutely love how Dr. Chris Kresser, if you're familiar with him, you know he is a functional medicine expert and he talks about the topic of genetics, epigenetics, and the exposome and how they all come together. He has this great analogy to help us understand this whole complicated process and he says that genes are like a script, a script for either a film or a theater performance. Your genes are the words that are on the page, but the exposome, the exposome and the epigenome, they're the performance that changes depending on who's in the cast, who's directing, who's producing, maybe even who's in the audience. So good, right? It just helps this complicated concept make more sense. Or even more simply put, and I love this, maybe even more, Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health, says, genes load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. Very simple, very wise, and I really like that explanation as well. I prefer, of course, to come at it from a more positive angle, right? Not the environment is pulling the trigger, but a more positive angle of, well, if the environment plays such a big role, what can we do positively to make that change? And that's what these positivity factors I mentioned are all about. They are the environmental mitigating factors that can jump in and change the genes at any given moment. And what I really love about this list of factors that I just dished on, I love that there's so many of them that it's okay if you're not able to do all of these. It doesn't take all of these. Not all of them may fit into your health where you're at at that moment in time and not all of them may feel, fit into your lifestyle, but there's so many that you can choose from. So it's not about, at least for me, it's not about perfection here. It's about doing the best we can as moms. Let me give you an example. Let's take breastfeeding, for example. You heard what I just said there and it kind of might make you feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't breastfeed or I'm not planning on breastfeeding or I had trouble breastfeeding and I'm doomed or my child is doomed, right? But already having IBD, we know that breastfeeding can be challenging for some moms. Breastfeeding was definitely a challenge for me. With my first two children, I was not in a good place with my Crohn's after I had given birth. I was able to nurse both of them, but not nearly as long as I wanted to. With my first child, I had to have bowel surgery four months after he was born, so I had to stop breastfeeding. And with my second child, I wasn't able to produce enough milk to sustain breastfeeding for him because I was going through a flare at the time after I gave birth to him. So for me, breastfeeding, it didn't go. Like I would have liked it to have gone, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't able to do other things for my kids. This list of positive things you can do for your kids to improve their overall health, it's not about shaming you or about making you feel guilty for things that you didn't do. It's about giving you a multitude that's a word, right? A multitude of tools that you can complete in as the best way that you can do it. As many as work for you without feeling guilty that there's something you didn't do. So what I want you to do is throw away that mom guilt, my friend. Throw it away because we're focusing today on what you can do, not what you can't do, and not what you already didn't do. 
I know I just I basically threw up a ton of information on you today it's a lot and I know it can be overwhelming so what I want to do here is make it a little bit more practical what can you do with all of this information how can you actually put this into practice practical practice in your own life what can you specifically do today mama I'm so glad you asked that because I have you specifically covered. I'm going to tell you right now where you can start all of this with your kids. If you want to, not only try to help with their best chance at not getting Crohn's and colitis, but if you're like me and you really you just want them to be overall healthy, as healthy as they possibly can be, whether they develop IBD or not, what do you do? What's your starting place? I'm going to propose four areas, four areas, concrete areas with specific steps that are the way I see it most important, not just to decrease your kids from getting IBD, but also to increase their overall health. And that's how I'd love for you to frame it for yourself as well. Sure. In the end, you might up end up being the reason that your, gla- your child is gluten sensitive or dairy sensitive, but that doesn't mean that they have to get IBD. And whether they do or not, your goal can still be to raise them as healthy as they possibly can be in all areas of life. Like I always say to my kids when they complain about getting a consequence or about doing a chore that they think is unfair, I don't care about fair. My job is to raise you as a fully functioning, independent, productive member of society. I've said that so many times, it just rolls off the tongue. I say it to my kids all the time. That's my job. And to me, that fully functioning part, it doesn't just include academics. It includes health, healthy mind, healthy body, healthy soul. So using these four factors that stem from the exosome and the epigenetic ideas we talked about today, these 90% non-genetic factors that influence our well-being, they can ensure you raise healthy kids no matter what life throws at them. Let me tell you about factor number one, and you're not going to be surprised to hear what it is. It's diet. Always, first and foremost, and especially for moms with IBD, we really need to think about that when it comes to our kids, feeding them extra healthy. We have to teach our kids the importance of finding the best diet for their body type. And that diet, it might be different for all of your kids. But at the heart of it, it should include whole foods, foods in their natural state, whole fruits, whole vegetables, unprocessed food that doesn't come in a can, a box, or a package. Strive for 80% of your kid's diet that comes from these types of healthy foods, healthy microbiome foods, healthy immune system foods, and foods that are low in causing inflammation for your body. When it comes to diet, the biggest disruptors to the gut and to our overall health are sugar and high levels of carbohydrates. So you want to limit the starches and the processed sugar to ensure a healthy child. Let's talk about factor number two. And factor number two is movement. 
Just like diet, this works best if it's tailored to your child's best interests. And you'll notice there that I didn't say exercise. I said movement. And that's purposeful. Some kids are born athletes and they love organized sports and teams, clubs, and competitions. And other kids prefer less or less organized movement. They prefer running amok outside, playing with friends, biking, hiking, or walking. Some kids might like weightlifting or yoga. There's no one movement that's better, in my opinion. Just get them off their devices and moving. And remember, their interests, they might even change over time. And I encourage you to be as supportive as you can with those changes. I remember my middle son, he loved soccer. Just like ate it up, ate. In fact, we got him a t-shirt that said something like eat, breathe, play soccer or something like that. He loved soccer since he was three years old. He grew into this incredible, incredibly talented soccer player and he flourished there. And by high school, he was the captain of his soccer team. But by his senior year, Without much warning, he gave it up. He had had several injuries. It was tough for him, right? He was constantly wearing this brace and that brace. He got burnt out. Soccer had been his life for so long, and that Division I college soccer dream that had been his life for so long, it disappeared. And I admit, it still makes me a little sad because I, maybe not him, but I had this trajectory in mind for him. But that wasn't his dream anymore. And so I had to change directions and support him as he moved into other movement passions that fed his soul. So no matter what they do, and especially when your kids are young, I just want to add one more thing. There's nothing better than getting them outside in nature with fresh air. It just nourishes a child's spirit. Have you ever just sent your kids outside and then they come back and there's just this renewed energy that they have? It's amazing. And to take this even one step further, I always encourage my kids to practice something called earthing. Have you heard about that? It's where you take off your shoes, you take off your socks, and you just walk around or play around outside with the natural ground and the earth's energy at your feet. It's very powerful energetically, but it's also a great way to get organisms that are in the soil of the grass into your body. Dirt, it has these wonderful bacterial properties that diversify the microbiome, which is so, so, so important, especially for those of us who have IBD because we want our kids to have a very diverse microbiome. So mud pies and encouraging them to grow their own garden and get their hands dirty, planting it and pulling weeds, earthing. These things are great for your kids' overall health. All right, let's talk about factor number three. So far we talked about diet as well as some sort of movement and if it's outside, even better. Let's talk about factor number three and that's sleep. Adequate sleep is a huge factor in your child's overall health. There's so much going on when we sleep. It's not this shutdown for our body and our organs like we might think it is because we don't know what's going on. So we're not really present, right, consciously for that. So we think everything shuts down. But it's actually sleep is a necessary time for the body to repair and to reset. And if kids don't get enough sleep, their body can't do that. It can't repair and reset. And we know that kids 
who get enough sleep, they have imp- improved attention, improved behavior, learning, memory. They have increased mental and physical health along with decreased blood pressure. They have less obesity, less anxiety, and depression. We also know that sleep deprivation, it leads to an increase in microscopic inflammation in the bowel. And so over time, this can lead to more serious gastrointestinal challenges. According to Johns Hopkins sleep specialists, and I trust them because they're from Johns Hopkins, and they say that infants less than one year of age need 12 to 16 hours of sleep at night. One to two-year-olds, 11 to 14 hours. Three to five-year-olds need 10 to 13 hours of sleep at night. Six to 12-year-olds need nine to 12 hours. And 13 to 18-year-olds need about eight to 10 hours of sleep at night. So when I said those numbers, how did that land with you? Does that fit for what your kids are getting? If you count it up, how are your kids doing with their sleep? Are they getting enough? So what I do want to tell you is that back in episode 8 of the podcast, we talked about sleep hygiene. It was a long episode all about an interview and it's all about sleep and how to get quality sleep. So if getting enough sleep is an issue for you or it is for your kids, you might want to go back because I think you'll find that episode helpful. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. I'm also going to link to a great article that is from Stanford Children's Health Center where they recommend eight ways to help your child sleep better. It's really a great article. I loved it. It gives you good information if your children are finding sleep difficult, right? If they are having insomnia or they're having difficulty staying asleep or they're having night terrors or nightmares, things like that. So I found it really helpful. I hope you will too. I'll leave a link to that one in the show notes. Let's talk about factor number four. We've made it to our last factor of really practical things that you can do to help your children with that 90% non-genetic, that environmental and lifestyle factor of whether they get IBD or not. And of course, like I said, it's more about their overall health as well. So factor number four is stress management. And of course, I know we all want our kids to have less stress, from emotional stress to physical stress, the effects of stress. We want it to be less. Of course, we want that for our child. But stress, as it turns out, it actually has a specific impact on our digestive system. So I want to share that with you. When we're stressed, our body prioritizes getting rid of the stress over proper digestion. So stomach and intestinal activity, it gets reduced as the body is decreasing blood flow there to give more blood flow to our stress hormones. Peristalsis, and that's that, the moving along of food along the GI tract, that gets stalled. And so that's why a child that's stressed, when they're stressed, it's not uncommon for them to have digestive troubles. It creates this perfect GI storm, right? It creates this perfect challenge for them. So things like stomach aches and constipation, even diarrhea are common during chronic stress. In chronic stress, it creates this chronic strain on our GI tract. And then the chronic strain on the GI tract causes dysbiosis and inflammation of the gut, which then is the perfect breeding ground for a GI disorder. So the question is, what can we do? What can we do to help not reduce stress in our kid's life? Because sometimes that's really impossible to do, right? You can't 
take away all of the stressors. But what we really want to do, and actually it wouldn't really be that healthy to do that because you want your kids to experience challenges so that they learn and grow from them, right? What we really want to do when it comes to stress, we want to help our kids learn to manage the stress that they have in their life. So one thing we can do, and I love this because it goes back to diet, one thing we can do is help them eat food that's fresh and whole because it gives your body the right nutrients to keep your digestive tract strong and healthy. So then it can combat the challenges that it might be having when stress is happening. Another thing we can do is as parents, we can help our kids manage stress at an emotional level. When we help them build emotional resilience. I love that word. It's so overused. It's so cliche, but I love it because it's huge, right? Emotional resilience. This is a huge factor for our kids' health, helping them to combat stress with resilience. When they're a child, it helps them be set up set up for then lifelong success when it comes to stress because we know stress will hit in adulthood multiple times. If this year has taught us anything, it will hit. It will hit everybody. It will hit multiple times. And children who have an opportunity to then vent their frustration in a healthy way, they end up dealing with life stressors better. Children who exercise or move on a regular basis, they release more endorphins. They release those endorphins in the brain. And endorphins, they have this tranquilizing effect and it increases feelings of pleasure. And this equals less stressful feelings for our kiddos. See how all of these factors are interrelated? The diet that we talked about and the movement or exercise we talked about earlier as being actual factors that come into play when we talk about helping our children manage the stress, right? And it's all just part of this circle of health because all of these things work together to create a healthy child. So when we talk about helping our children to manage stress in their lives, there's three tools that I absolutely love. I want to share them with you today. And the first tool is called the Big Life Journal. And that's something I only recently discovered. I discovered it this year, but I'm absolutely loving it. I mentioned this before in the Gut Love community, so this might sound familiar to you. The Big Life Journal, it's a fabulous addition to your kid's book collection, and it takes them through imaginary exercises to help build their strength and character. And they have a buddy along the way, and of course that can be you as kind of their leader and mentor on this journey of how to handle things that happen in life and how to strengthen your resilience. Another stress tool that I love for kids is called Insight Timer. Insight Timer is an app with the most wonderful visualizations and meditations for kids. It's like fun and engaging stories, little sessions that are great for calming kids down when they're anxious. It's also helpful for kids who have sleep troubles. It helps them sleep at night. So I wanted to mention that tool as well. And then lastly, and probably my most favorite stress busting tool because it doesn't involve anything but your breath, it's called the 478 breath. You've probably heard me talk about this technique before because it's great for IBDers too. Ask your child to breathe through their nose, in through their nose for four seconds, hold their breath for seven seconds, and then breathe out through their mouth for eight seconds. And they can repeat this as many times as they need to to help them feel centered, 
grounded and help them feel calm during a difficult situation. I love just kind of when I see my 10-year-old kind of getting a little bit wiggy, I love to say, hun, I think it's time for a four, seven, eight breath. And because he's so in tune with that, we've been doing it for a while, he'll go and do the four, seven, eight breath, and then he'll come back when he's a little bit more calm. It really, really works. These three tools, they're about teaching your child to be mindful and about the mind-body connection. They're some of the best tools around to raise resilient, strong, and thoughtful kids. I will go ahead and provide links to these resources in the show notes so that you can check them out on your own. Okay, so there you have it. Those are the four factors that help you create healthy kids, mind, body, and spirit. Okay, we started out this episode talking about the genetics and the heredity link between you, your IBD, and your child. And yes, like I said, the hereditary link is real. When you have IBD, there is a risk that your child might develop Crohn's or colitis as well. But it isn't a foregone conclusion. There's so much that we can do as parents to raise healthy children. Remember genetics, it only plays a 10% role. To look at the complete picture, we have to look at environmental and lifestyle factors as well. And as moms, there's so much we do to raise our kids and put their health first, right? So no matter what life throws at them, IBD or any challenge, physical or emotional, when we keep these tools in mind, we give our kids the skills and the tools that they need to overcome challenges that come their way. And in my mind, this is the best thing that we can do for our kids, no matter what. From teaching our kids to eat healthy, to showing them the power of movement, exercise, and being outside in nature, to encouraging them to have healthy sleep habits, and finding ways to manage the challenges of the stress in their life. There's a lot we can do to raise kids who are not only healthy in childhood, but healthy throughout life. Even if they do step away from it for a bit in their teen years, which they tend to do and take it from me, it's in there, right? It's already been baked in, so they will come back to it. And I already have older teens who are then coming back to it, which I absolutely love. Thanks so much for sharing this time with me today. I hope this topic was helpful for you. If it's something that you've been wondering about, like I know so many of my clients have, I hope that it answered at least some of the questions you've been having about how to raise healthy kids when you're a mom with IBD. And if this information fascinates you like it does me and you want to know more, you'll definitely want to check out the show notes for this episode. There are several links to scholarly articles and research studies where you can learn more. And if your IBD has come to a place that it's really becoming a challenge in your life, if you're finding it difficult to be a mom and the mom that you know you deserve to be, I want you to get in touch because there's so much we can do when we work together to help you find IBD remission. Email me at hello at karenhaley.com. That's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y. Dot com. Let's get you started on a path to recovery. I can't wait to hear from you. Until we meet again, I am wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD healing journey. Chat soon. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to today's episode. 
When it comes to IBD, I know there's a lot of resources out there, and I'm truly honored that you chose the Cheeky Podcast to get your IBD information today. If you found this information helpful, please give us a rating and review. It helps other moms find the podcast and see what we're doing over here to help IBD moms everywhere. And if you feel called to do it, share this podcast with an IBD mom who you know could really use an uplifting message today, because that's what we're all about over here at the Cheeky Podcast. One last thing, if you're still with me, and if you are, you're definitely my kind of gal. We have to get to know each other better. If you're tired of living on the hamster wheel of IBD with all the ups and downs between flares and remission, if you're struggling to get control of your abdominal pain, gas, bloating, diarrhea, and other troubling IBD symptoms, go to my website. It's karenhaley.com, and my mom had to be just a little bit different, spell my name with a Y. So it's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com, and schedule your very own free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting session with me, where we discuss the challenges you've been having, we set goals to help you move forward, and we talk about how we can work together to help you get your life back. It's a power-packed 30 minutes. You don't have to live in IBD status quo. There's so much that can be done to transform your life so you can thrive in motherhood and thrive with IBD. I've seen my clients walk this path and it gives me so much joy to take that journey with them. My entire coaching practice is run online so you never have to leave your house and you never have to get out of your jamming or yoga pants for us to work together. You know I'm wearing them too. If you're ready to take your first amazing step towards healing, I'm ready to chat with you. Schedule your free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting sesh today at karenhaley.com. Click on the work with me tab and I'll see you soon. It's important to note that the information in this podcast and in this episode is for general information purposes only and not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The statements made in the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, either by me or my guests, is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before implementing any new treatment protocols, do yourself a favor and consult your physician first. Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for saving this space for us to spend some time together. Until we chat again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD journey.